Welcome to the show. I'm Greg McEwen, and I'm your host for the What's Essential podcast. There are lots of shows on how to improve, on how to become successful, but there is only one on what to do once you are. This is essential because success can be a catalyst for failure, especially if it leads to the undisciplined pursuit of more. This show is about how to become successful at success. It's for high performers who are on the edge of exhaustion, solving problems completely before they even arise. It's about turning tedious tasks into joyful rituals. It's about simplifying your processes and making your most essential activities the easiest ones. So if you're a driven, hardworking, productive person who is running out of space but still wants to make a higher contribution effortlessly, the What's Essential podcast is designed especially for you. So let's begin. Okay, so why did they kick you out? Well, I wasn't technically deported from England. But I sort of deported myself because I fell in love with America as a teenager and New York specifically when I was 18 and I'd come here, of all things, having done one of these Model United Nations programs. Really? So I think lots of people did. It was sort of one of those sort of high school activities. And I loved it. And I ended up here visiting the UN, which is just this incredible experience. And I completely fell in love with Manhattan and the energy. And so for me, it was always when, not if, I would cross the Atlantic. And eventually I did. I came to the US to go to graduate school and came to New York thinking it would be a two-year itch to scratch. And I've been here 13 years. I'm still here 13 years later. That makes me think you were probably an overachiever before getting here. Because not everybody does a UN experience early on. Were you an overachiever at the beginning? I was an overachiever, and I, I, that sounds awful. It's such a ghastly thing to say, and not at all self-effacing. And being English, we have to be self-effacing. <laughs> so that wasn't allowed as a statement. But I worked really hard, and I really valued achievement always, even as a very young child, and always wanted to strive to, to win something or get a prize or be recognized and acknowledged as, as winning things. And so I was an overachiever at a young age, absolutely. What have you learned about the journey from being successful to being very successful. And that could be your own journey as you've continued to be successful and got to the next level or just working with other people. What are your observations about that particular journey? Well, first of all, I would say I don't really consider myself to be very successful. So I can only really answer that in terms of what have I learned along the way in terms of how I define what achieving means. And I would say I had a fairly cookie-cutter approach to this until really the COVID period. And the most extraordinary thing happened in, in late 2019. I've always had a career in investing, but at that particular point in time, I was asked to replace the CEO of a company that I had invested in at my last firm. And it was such a transformational experience. It was supposed to be a very short-term interim experience. But what ended up happening was COVID hit. And this particular business was headquartered in Vegas and was in the hospitality sector. And so I ended up in that seat for a year and leading a company through a crisis as profound and traumatic as COVID has been completely redefined what I thought of in terms of defining success. 
it redefined it in terms of the importance of doing something you really love, in terms of having focus on something you're passionate about, on the energy and the value that comes from leading and being immersed in a team that you really care about. And I would say also it really brought into focus something, Greg, that really resonated as I read your literature, which is the importance of prioritizing, honing in on what's important, and then running blazers at the things that really matter to you and that are really going to make a difference. Very different from what I thought of as trying to do as many different things as well as humanly possible and probably not doing as well in any of them as had originally been intended. When you say that it helped to redefine what next level success looked like for you, is it because the job you were doing was more aligned for you? You were more passionate about it? It was a better fit for you than what you'd been doing before? Am I hearing that right? It was a little unexpected in the sense that I was suddenly living by myself in Vegas, the only pedestrian in Nevada. Exactly. In the middle of the pandemic, you're in Vegas. Exactly. No one else is. Nobody else is. And I remember this moment where I went along the strip just to see it and it was completely desolate and empty, which was such an extraordinary thing to experience. And I was such the only pedestrian, Greg, that actually... Uh, if I wanted to treat myself to a coffee and a donut, I would walk to Dunkin' Donuts, which of course had no indoor dining at all. And I would stand between the cars for the drive through and then eventually go in and knock uh, gingerly on the window and ask them, you know, for a, a Boston cream or a glazed donut and my special Dunkin's coffee. So it was that very much, you know, the last human in Vegas experience. And what I found was what really motivated me there was this burning desire to try and protect the workforce as much as possible because we were operating under such challenging conditions, a very physical environment where we had to think about social distancing and protecting our workers from ill health and so on and so forth. And where really the hospitality sector had been just so decimated that the tenacity and the focus and the desire to try and find a way to get all our people back to work became just this hugely motivating and energizing passion project. And so it was a different fit in the sense that I was suddenly using a whole bunch of different skills I hadn't really activated over the prior course of my career, but also because there was a mission that really meant something to me. And that was very new. And I don't think I would have found it, but for having had the chance to completely unexpectedly find myself dropped in that situation. Yes, you were facing not just a hospitality challenge, but a human challenge, which is these people are suddenly disproportionately impacted, which of course we you know, know is true. I remember the CEO of Marriott talking about this, that, that even after 9-11, maybe they had a 15 to 20% reduction in bookings and hotels. But suddenly with the pandemic, it's like 90% reductions, at least in those first few months. How do you even survive? How does a hospitality company even survive? How did you survive? Tenacity was one. I think also it was real teamwork. And I, I remember that moment, Greg, too. So Arne Sorensen, who you're referring to, came out and addressed his people on video. And he'd had to furlough, I think it was close to 100,000 Marriott associates at the time. And he teared up on this video. And it was such a heartbreaking thing to see. One, because he had, it turned out, advanced cancer. And he subsequently passed away, which was heartbreaking for the hospitality industry. But it was so inspiring to watch a leader address his team with such humanity and such compassion and such heartbreak. He was heartbroken at what he had to do. And I remember watching that and I found that to be such an important moment when I was thinking about this particular business I was running at the time, 
and watching him and, and thinking, you know what, while we are all going to need our strength to get through this and we're going to need our creativity to find solutions, the most important thing that any of us can bring to the table right now to our teams and those we're leading is authenticity and compassion and a willingness to show folks that we really care about what's happening and this is heartbreaking for all of us and that's going to fuel our desire to get, find a way through it. So it was really feeling, really, on Sorensen that felt that he gave many of us permission to emote publicly and to be vulnerable and in that vulnerability to find strength and share it with others. It was about as good as leadership gets in a corporate setting. I thought it was, it, it named the emotion of the moment in a way that I thought was so effective. And I don't mean because it was intended to have a certain impact, but just the humanity of it in the midst of this catastrophic situation for the industry. He seemed to get the moment right. He seemed to capture it. You, you seem to be supporting that. You had a mentor through this process, Larry Bossaday. Tell us, for those that don't know who Larry is, tell us about who he is and, and why he was important for you in this journey. Sure. Larry Bossaday was the CEO of Allied Signal. And he was a tremendously impactful industrial sector leader. And he actually wrote a book called Execution, which talks about how success in commerce comes down to the ability to prioritize, to be able to communicate what those priorities are throughout organizations, and to make sure that there is focus, that there are clear milestones, and that there's continual and clear follow-up so that everybody in a team understands what the goal is and are getting very clear guidelines and feedback along the way on how those goals are being tracked and executed against. Larry is an advisor to the place I was working, and he was just extraordinary because he would talk to me every week like clockwork and ask me a couple of key questions. The number one question always was, how's the team doing? which really speaks to someone who's been a leader at times of crisis mm. and who really understands that the most important thing at any point in time, no matter what you're doing, is how are the people around you doing? How's the morale? How are their spirits? How are their energy levels? The second question he would ask me is, Anne, how are you doing? Which touched me in a way I can't even begin to describe because so often in moments of crisis, we forget to ask, you know, how are the people leading? How are they individually doing? How are their energy levels and reservoirs so that they can focus on doing the task in hand? But he was always fantastic, again, in terms of bringing about focus and, and asking me, what are the essential things that you are fixated upon now? And those will change. You'll have to pivot. You'll have to respond as the facts change. But he always was there to lend a brain experience and wisdom to asking, what are the priorities this week? How are we executing against them? What are the new facts coming in? that may inform how those needs to change. And one of the best piece of advice he gave me was, Anne, you've got to keep moving. This isn't the time to lose your confidence. You've got to make decisions constantly. Not all of them will be right, but it's very important that you remain agile and nimble and mobile. And that means making decisions and just keep going at them. It's important not to have stasis. You can't get caught in the headlights and stuck now, which was, which was a really empowering thing to say when you hear that from someone with that experience really encouraging you to just, you know, trust your gut, keep going. That was just extraordinary. I think that's a really interesting point because it's so tempting 
in a crisis to get into the hunker down mentality where we're going to ride this out. We'll wait to see how it goes. It's such uncertainty and it creates a sort of frozen approach. And I think you have one of two options in that situation. You could either stay in it or as he says it, time to move forward, time to make decisions. It's not about making the perfect decision and waiting for the perfect decision. It's to make decisions so that we can progress and so that we can keep things moving. And then uh, with some momentum, uh, we can try to create something new. What else did you learn working with Larry? I learned the importance of very clear communication. One of the things that Larry Rothity is just phenomenal at And for anyone who'd seen him on CNBC, where he was a commentator for a long time, he has the ability to be in very complex discussions, hear complicated ideas, and then he can break it down beautifully simply into straightforward concepts with very clear language, often monosyllabic, which is something I'm trying to learn because I tend to talk in paragraphs. (laughs) And then everyone can understand it. So it's very clear, it's very concise, and get straight to the point. And with that comes gravitas. And with that comes the ability to speak to many different kinds of audiences. And if you think about someone who'd been in Barry Bossidy's position, he had to communicate equally effectively in the boardroom with shareholders, and then with employees through to the manufacturing shop floor. And I think to do that takes a particular kind of empathy, a particular kind of EQ, and a real command of language to be able to to speak many different languages to many different audiences with the same impact. I thought it, I think it's a tremendous skill and I really, really admire it, aspire towards having it one day. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. (coughs) Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify magic, which is your AI powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. Mm. What, if you tried to pinpoint that particular skill, what is it that sets apart someone who's smart and driven, as I would say most executives and CEOs are, 
versus what you're describing, which you said this particular EQ that allows him to cut through the noise, identify what's essential, speak in clear, simple ways so that whoever he's speaking to not only understands what he's saying, but cannot misunderstand what he's saying. What's he doing that differentiates him from others who are also competent and capable in other ways? I think in those moments when his communication is so powerful, he's got such clarity of thought and such clarity on what is the most important essential message that laser-like focus comes across in his articulation of it. There was a fantastic moment where I sat down with him early on in this particular endeavor. And I remember showing him an org chart, which was all over the place. with lots of different functions with lots of overlap. And it was very unclear who was being held responsible for what. This convoluted organizational structure, which was de facto not structured, uh, was described by Larry. And he looked at it for a very brief period of time. But he quickly discerned and quickly said to me, this org structure is the muddled result of muddled thinking. The muddled result of muddled thinking. Carry on. And so when he speaks to his audiences, he speaks in unmuddled terms because he has unmuddled thinking. He does not use superfluous words. There are no extra phrases because he has such clarity on his core message that he doesn't need to gussy it up with extra language. And I think that is a particular skill. And I think it's really reflective of the own clarity of thought that he tends to have when he's communicating in those moments. And what would you do if you could do absolutely anything? Well, I'm very lucky because I'm doing absolutely the moment one of the things that I would do no matter what, which is work with really inspiring, hungry, passionate founders of great organizations. And that's what I do in my current role. I support investing in them and being soundboards to them and helping activate what they're doing in commerce with content and entertainment. So I feel extremely, extremely lucky that I get to do that every day now. And I I do get to scratch this itch of talking about markets and the sort of pseudo journalism itch I had. If I think I could do one thing more, it would be travel to just really interesting far-flung places and do, you know, fantastic TV shows about them or fantastic podcasts. Greg, do you want to just up sticks actually and take your podcast to some far-flung part of the world? (laughs) And I just do it from there. And I think then you'd be living the dream. I think there's something about discovery and something about exploration that is this itch that's unscratched. I used to joke, actually, that I was almost born in the wrong period. I wish I'd been one of these sort of Edwardian explorers where there were so many new geographies that nobody had gone to from the Western world still. And go and find things other you know people hadn't found yet. That sounds like a, a missed window. You could imagine yourself as a sort of Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Also, and I do think this is a function of the last year and a half, the desire to go and do those things is somewhat counterweighted by the desire to do slightly more fundamental things. You know, one of the things I've missed in the last year and a half is going back to England, which I would typically do four or five times a year to see my family, all of whom are over there. And it's been such an interesting period because on the one hand, I think many of us have had this desire to just up sticks and go and have an adventure having been cocooned for such a protracted period of time. But on the other hand, there's been a real desire to sort of hold on to what I would call 
the most important things or the basics, which are things like our family, our loved ones, our friends, who we haven't had necessarily the opportunity to spend as much time with by virtue of what's been going on. So it's this really interesting push and pull. It's these two extremes. It's the extreme of go out into the world, go beyond our boundaries and horizons and see what's out there. But on the other hand, it's this real burning desire to stay close to whom we love as well. I was just talking to Kim Scott, who's written a couple of great books, and one of them, Radical Candor, is probably the one she's most famous for. And she had this idea, she said, everybody right now should draw out a two by two. And on one axis, it's love and hate. And on the second axis, it's before the pandemic and during the pandemic, so that you get to evaluate what did I love before this all happened? What did I hate before this all happened? What did I love through this experience? What did I hate through this experience? So that you can try to get clear in your mind what kind of lifestyle you want to create post-pandemic. What's clear to me at least is that as a, most people do not want to go back to how things were before. And as I hear you describing this uh, last person in Vegas type stories, there's something in, in, the, in the adventure that that's all been, there's something about that that implies, oh, what a different kind of thing going forward, something different. What do you want post-pandemic? What, what do you see as a way to, to create the best of before and uh, the best of through? One of the big learnings through all of that was some of the things I'd been really attracted to when I left the UK and I came to New York, I hadn't realized until I didn't have them anymore just how unimportant they were in the grand scheme of things in contributing to my happiness. So I, I live in New York. I lived in New York for a long time. I love New York. I love the energy here and, and the people who come here with many of whom are chasing dreams, which is such a wonderful environment to be in and to watch people do that. It's also a city with struggle. And I think part of what makes New York and many other cities so interesting is these are not easy places to live. And yet people come here and there's something about these places that want them to get through the struggles of being in, in these cities and continue doing what they're doing. And there's so much about the hubbub here, brunches with friends, there's fantastic museums, there's fantastic culture, there's always something to do, there are always people to see. And assuming I was this big extrovert, all of this sort of played to, to what I felt really recharged my batteries and kept me going. And then suddenly in an environment where none of that was available and what my day would entail was waking up and going outside to a completely different landscape, the bluest blue sky, the most beautiful red rock formations, didn't know anybody, uh, I didn't in a work environment, but certainly didn't have any personal friends or personal contacts there. And I actually found the way in which I filled my time made me feel as though I didn't miss some of those other things. I was reading books and, and being by myself, actually, for large tracts of time or running around outside or going for walks. The simplicity of, of that, even though it was such a time of terrible crisis, but the simplicity of, of getting rid of all these things I would say yes to for the sake of keeping busy and being less busy and embracing being less busy. That's something I really want to carry forward because I found coming out of that, Greg, I was so much more creative. I had such better clarity of thinking. To go back to what we said earlier, my decision-making capabilities were faster, were clearer. And I think it came from that decluttering. And having a more a decluttered life is, is something I want to definitely carry on pursuing. 
in this next, you know, in the roaring 20s. See how that goes. It's almost a roaring 20s and decluttering almost seem to be uh, in conflict with each other. Yes, in a sense they are. And in a sense, I think they're one can enable the other, you know, that, that by creating space, by saying no, by escaping the noise. I, it feels like to me that at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was experiencing involuntary essentialism. Whether you wanted to or not, you know, you go to your, it's like we were teenagers, you go to your room and you have a think about it. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, everybody was more isolated uh, than they were than they were before. Everyone had the chance for more solitude, even though it was an enforced thing. What is one thing that you want to voluntarily eliminate now as at least in the United States, we're, we're emerging uh, from what has been. Am I allowed, Greg, to, to talk about not what I would eliminate, but what I perhaps replace other things with? Or something I would add, which I think eliminates other yes. things, which is gratitude. Mm. Gra- gratitude was something that I started to practice, really not in an intentional way. It crept up on me because I was sitting in the state with nearly 30% unemployment. It was one of the hardest hit areas of the country. Hmm. And you see it everywhere. And I remember at one point, I did come back to New York for a brief period. And to your point about enforced solitude and, and, and being teenagers, again, actually, the curfews were kicking in in New York. And I remember actually calling my parents and saying, de Blasio has managed to do what you as parents could not do to me as a teenager. There is a curfew. And I'm actually observing it. I'm actually <laughs> adhering to a curfew. But I was really conscious there in the eye of the storm in the hospitality industry here in New York, when there were literally riots, blocks from my apartment, that I have been and am exceptionally lucky. And there was such a disconnect in a strange kind of way because so many people I had been to graduate school with or I had worked with and many of my immediate social circle had obviously, as so many people did, a a very lonely COVID period. They'd had their own stresses and strains coming out of this. Everybody did. No one has been untouched by this, but they didn't have uncertainty around their income. They didn't have uncertainty around, you know, trying to tackle things like getting unemployment insurance because the state systems were being overwhelmed. Whereas I was actually seeing those things up close and personally. And so I just had this conscious sense of feeling lucky to the point of feeling guilty that so many of the people I cared about were okay, that I personally was okay. And it's really having a sense of gratitude for and awareness of the privilege that I have. That's something that I really want to carry forward and really not lose. And I think it would be too easy to lose it in the sugar high that we're getting right now as the world reopens. And to just keep remembering that I've been very fortunate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of my favorite insights that came to me as I was grappling with some personally challenging things in our family was this idea. If you focus on what you lack, 
you lose what you have. And if you focus on what you have, you gain what you lack. And the challenge, I think, is to take that truism and turn it into lifestyle. For years, I have written a gratitude journal, and that's been very, very good exercise for me. I mean, I think I'm 10 years into that. I don't think I've missed a day in 10 years. That's just sort of a once a day check-in. You know, it's a moment that you come to, and that's a lot better than not doing it. But but what about all the in-between? I mean, your your life is lived in the in-between. And, uh, and, and that's when I introduced a, a practice uh, that, uh, that doesn't sound like a very high standard, but turns out to be quite a high standard. And that is, after I complain, I will say one thing I am thankful for. And what I noticed when I first did that is that I complained a lot more than I realized. <laughs> like, for real. And that I noticed, too, that that has an effect on people around you. You know, that's not just on your own mental well-being, but but on whoever you're complaining to. Now, there's space for some complaining. It can feel a feeling of being less alone if you can share some of your concerns and so on. There's a place for it. I think it's a fantastic practice. And I think it, I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's, in theory, an easy thing to do. The only thing it costs you is that minute or that second to do it. It's your time. And I think a practice of being thankful, really for the overachievers, to use the term that you used at the beginning, it's the equivalent of being solution-oriented in a strange kind of way. It's sort of saying, okay, something may have gone awry, but here is something to counterbalance that that takes me forward with positivity. And I think it's, I think it's a very solution-oriented way to approach things. And give us the last word. You know, related to that, Greg, I was walking around the, uh, the streets of New York the other day, and there's one particular street in Soho, and I saw graffitied on one of the, the doors was the following slogan, die with memories, not with dreams. And it really struck me when it comes to this idea of, you know, how do you listen to what it is you really want to do? And how do you find that path? And how do you just go for it? I saw that, Greg, and I thought, one, that's why I love living here in the US and in Mm. New York. It's something about that statement just really captures the place as well as the moment. Mm. But also it was a reminder. If you were to say, what is the one thing coming out of this period that's been so difficult for everybody, I think it is this desire to make sure we're focusing on the dreams and going after them as best as possible. Yes. And now I said I'd give you the last word, but I just want to riff on that one final time, which is it connects to what you were saying earlier on about not trying to make perfect decisions. You go make a memory. Sometimes memories aren't quite as good as you were hoping they would be, experiences, but they're still memories. Go make a memory. is a nice, realistic way to go about life. Go try it. As, uh, as John Acuff says to me, in life, you either have a success or you, you, you get a story. And it's a nice way to think about it. Like, go make a memory, go take an action, go take a risk, so that you are full of stories at the end of your life and not full of just, well, I, I was waiting till the perfect moment to go. And Barry, what a pleasure to have you. You've designed for yourself a career that has been gold-plated, uh, that has had so, so much experience and and achievement. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see the next act in your journey to be able to continue to design towards really what is it that, uh, that I came here to do. What a pleasure to have you. Thanks for being on the What's Essential podcast. Thanks, Greg. 
Ladies and gentlemen, essentialists, one and all, we've come to that moment again, the end of the show. Thank you really sincerely for listening. It's been amazing to see what's happened already with this show. The show has become, in fact, the top 3% of podcasts globally within just the first five months of its launch. And that's because of you. You have made this special. And I want to end, as I always do, reminding you that if you don't do anything else, just ask what's essential and eliminate as much as possible everything else. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.